Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the precious gift you have given us of your word and how it proclaims to us the message of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, we thank you that we can learn in the pages of the Old Testament about the signs that point to Jesus Christ and we thank you for the signs that we can see in the book of Ezra. Lord, we pray that you may reveal Jesus Christ to us today as we look into this book together. May your Holy Spirit be working upon our hearts and may you use me to bring people closer to you this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes people give you what you precisely need. At different times in your life, you're not able to get things yourself and somebody else has to step in and help you with that need that you have. And I see this with my little daughter, Philippa. She needs a lot of things to be given to her. She's not able to get a lot of things for herself. And sometimes it is Joshua, not his, not Philippa's mum or dad, who is the one who goes and gets her what she needs. Uh, I'm very good at bringing Pippa down uh, stairs in the morning for her to have her milk when she's woken up. But I'm also very good at leaving a sock behind in the cot. And at the moment it's winter and so it's very hard for her to walk around on cold tiles without socks on. And so she's kicked off one in her sleeping bag and she needs a sock replacement. And it is Joshua who has been trained to go up the stairs so that parents don't have to bother climbing stairs again. Go to her cot, which she couldn't do. She can climb stairs but not get back into her cot. Go into her cot and find the sock and then bring it all the way back down and fulfill that need that she has and put it onto her cold little foot so that she's going to be more comfortable. He's able to fulfill that need for her. And this morning we're going to look at King of Kings fulfilling needs. A King of Kings and then the King of Kings in fulfilling what people need. And we've come to this in the book of Ezra. We worked through Ezra for quite a while last year and we got up to the end of chapter 6. And then last week we started on chapter 7 after coming back from our break. And this morning we're going to be looking at Ezra chapter 7 from verse 11 through to verse uh, 19. And this morning we come to this book of Ezra and I figure each week I really should give a bit of a recap as to where Ezra fits into the Old Testament uh, because it is hard sometimes to understand where Old Testament books fit into Israelite history and to God's salvation history. So the Bible starts off, of course, with Genesis, uh, creation, and of course then we have Abraham. Abraham has uh, a couple, uh, son Isaac. Isaac has a son called Jacob. Jacob then, of course, becomes Israel. Israel is the guy who has the 12 tribes of Israel come from him and those 12 tribes end up in Egypt uh, and of course they're enslaved in Egypt then there's this marvelous exodus where God brings them out of Egypt into the promised land under the leadership of Moses and then Joshua and of course they get into the promised land and they haven't solved the sin problem they continue to sin there rebel again and again and again and so eventually God sends them into exile to Babylon where they spend some time there and then God graciously allows them to return and that's where the book of Ezra opens up with King Cyrus king of Persia saying yes you can go back a group of exiles are allowed to return and that's what we looked at when we were reading from verses uh, from chapter 1 to 6 when we went through in a previous sermon series and then we get to Ezra chapter 7 which is a second lot of people coming back from 
exile and they're coming under the leadership of Ezra this time, not Zerubbabel. And this is like 70 years, 60 odd years into the um, moved on between chapter 6 and chapter 7. And that's where we pick up today with this focus on Ezra. And we saw last week that Ezra was a great guy and we should try and be like Ezra. And this week I want to look at how Ezra is able to return to the promised land. Why is he allowed to go? King Cyrus is long gone. Why is Ezra allowed to come back? And so that's my first main point this morning. A king of kings gives support. If you want to see my four main points, they're on the back of the church bulletin there for you to follow along. And my first this morning is a king of kings gives support. And we read about this king of kings in verse 12 of Ezra chapter 7. Verse 12 of chapter 7 says on page 467, Artaxerxes, king of kings. So that's the person that's writing this letter that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. Artaxerxes, king of kings. Who is this Artaxerxes? Well, he's the grandson of Darius, who we've had mentioned previously, and also Xerxes, who's been mentioned previously in the book of Ezra. And now he is on the throne, and he is indeed a king of kings. He is, this is a true statement, he's not just simply talking himself up. He is a king of kings because there are many nations under him and many kings under him. The Persians had conquered the nations, and so he is indeed a king of kings here. And this king of kings sees a need in the Israelite people. What is their need? Well, they're in exile. Some of them have been allowed to return, but there are many still in exile, and the, the exiles want to go back to their land, particularly because they have a need to serve God in that land. That is their promised land. And... Their whole system of knowing God depends upon a sacrificial system. And that sacrificial system of slaughtering animals to cover sin depends upon the sacrifices being made in where? Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is not part of Babylon. Jerusalem is a long way away from Babylon. And so they can't make sacrifices while they're in exile. And so their sins are not being atoned for. So they need to get back to that promised land and make the sacrifices. And the king sees this need that these exiles have of needing to go back to the promised land. And so how does Artaxerxes help the Israelites? Well, we read in these verses in this letter the ways that he is helping the Israelites and particularly what he does for Ezra. And so firstly, we see that the king of kings passes laws allowing Ezra and the other Israelites to leave. Look at verse 13. Now, I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including priests and Levites who wish to go to Jerusalem with you, may go. He gives them permission to leave. Now, you may think, oh, that's not such a big deal, but just try and leave Australia and go into another country without a passport, without permission from Australian government and from the government that you're trying to get into. It's very hard to just move around from country to country. And it's the same in this time. You can't just up and leave, particularly if you're a captive people that have been removed as punishment from a land. And so here, Artaxerxes says, yes, I decree, I make a law that you may return to the promised land. So he gives them that freedom. Also, the king of kings gives authority to look into affairs at Jerusalem so that God's law would be carried out. And we see that in verse 14. He says, You are sent, that's Ezra, by the king and his seven advisers to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. He's not just saying you can go back. He's giving them 
freedom when they get back to subject themselves to the law of God and subject the people to the law of God. You know, governments can let you do things and move around, but then their laws will stay with you when you might move to another state. The federal government says, yes, you can go easily from New South Wales to Queensland, but there are still laws that are going to apply to you when you get there. But he's allowing Ezra to go back and be subject to the law that is the law of God, the law that is in the Pentateuch. And so the king of kings is helping the Israelites in that way as well. Also, the king of kings gives cash. He gives silver and gold himself. We read that in verse 15. Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisors have freely given to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. He's giving generously. He's not just saying you can go. He's not just saying you can be subject to your laws when you get there. He's actually giving them cash. He's giving them silver and gold. And he's giving it personally as the king. He says the king himself is giving. And he doesn't just give himself. He also makes other people give it as well. What does he say? Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisors have freely given to the God of Israel. It says freely there. I wonder how freely those advisors, uh, or whether it was the king said, hey, Bob, Jim, you need to chip in here as well. Uh, yeah, but they're, they're definitely chipping in here. They're getting gold and silver, not just from the king, but also from his advisors. And then not just from the king and his advisors, who else is chipping in here? We read that the king of kings makes it possible to get gold and silver from his citizens. It says in verse 16, Together with all the silver and gold that you may obtain from the province of Babylon, as well as the freewill offerings of the people and priests for the temple of their God in Jerusalem. So he's saying that you can collect cash from citizens for your cause. And so uh, and it's people from in the province of Babylon, and then freewill offerings from the people and priests for the temple as well, so the Levites themselves are allowed to give. Now you may think, oh, well, that's not such a big deal. Um, who's going to stop someone giving some money away? Well, governments <clears throat> do like to stop people giving money to certain causes, or they promote the giving of money to certain causes by giving tax deductions if you give it to a certain cause. But, um, yeah, if you start giving money away to terrorist groups that are against the nation, um, your bank accounts can be frozen. The government can do it. They can freeze your accounts. You may not like the thought that your cash can suddenly not be um, accessible through the ATM, but a government can do it. And the Artaxerxes had a lot of power, and he could stamp down, he could confiscate your whole property if he wanted. Uh, And so it's the generosity of the King of Kings here in allowing Ezra to collect cash from the citizens in the country for their trip back to Jerusalem. So Artaxerxes is indeed a very generous king of kings to the Israelites here. But why is he so generous? Why is he so generous? Well, he wants the needs of the Israelites to be addressed. He wants that need to be fulfilled of going back to the land and making sacrifices. And so that's my second main point this morning. A king of kings orders sacrifices to be made with his support. All the changes of law that he's made and the money that he has poured out upon these Israelites is to be used for sacrifices and not simply to be spent willy-nilly on what Ezra thinks might be a good thing to do. What does he say in verse 17 and 18? With this money, be sure to buy bulls, rams and male lambs together with their grain offerings and drink offerings and sacrifice them on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem. 
He's saying, make sure you use the cash that I've freed up for you for what I think it should be used for, and that is for sacrifices. Why does he need to do this? Well, abuse of government funding is well known to man even today. The government can give cash to citizens for a certain cause, and how much of it actually ends up going toward that cause. Just recently in the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, there was an article about the carbon tax rebate that was given to lower-income families in Australia, and it said, Pokies have swallowed a chunk of the federal government's carbon tax compensation new figures suggest. Revealed today by the Australian Financial Review, the figures show handouts to low-income earners under the scheme have led to surges in gaming revenues from pubs and clubs in Queensland and Victoria. The government came along with a big little handout. Well, big little. Big handout to everyone. Little handout on an individual level. And where did that handout go? It was meant to pay for electricity costs. And where did it go? It went straight into pokey machines. That's what's alleged in this article, and I'm sure they've got some sort of figures. I'm sure the Sydney Morning Herald wouldn't have something there without data to back it up. The government saw a need, but the support that the government provided for that need didn't go where it was intended to go. And Artaxerxes had a similar concern. He said, I'm giving you a lot of cash here, and I'm giving it personally, as well as my seven advisors and a lot of people, little citizens of this uh, land of Babylon. I want it to go for sacrifices. Make sure you use that cash for sacrifices. So Artaxerxes is a very generous king of kings, but he wants that generosity to be used to fulfill the need that he has seen. So that's Ezra and Artaxerxes. What about you? What lesson can you derive from this text as a Christian? Is there any parallel here between you as a person who is part of God's kingdom? Well, that brings me to my third main point. The king of kings gives support. The king of kings gives support. Artaxerxes claims to be a king of kings, and he is a king of kings of sorts. But there is a much greater king, the king of kings. And that is, of course, God. Paul describes God in 1 Timothy 6.15. He says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever no one has seen or can see. And John in Revelation, when he sees the Lamb, he says, Lord of lords and King of kings. God is the King of kings. He is the king that is over kings like Artaxerxes, who are kings of kings. He is the King of kings. There is no king that is above God. He is the King of kings. And... He is a king of kings. He is the king of kings who provides support like Artaxerxes provides support as a king of kings. He sees a need in his citizens, in the people, and provides for that need. And what is that need? Well, the king of kings sees that humans have a need for forgiveness from sin. They have all sinned and fallen short of his glory. And so they all need that sin to be atoned for. They need a sacrifice to be made if they are to have forgiveness and not be punished for an eternity in hell. 
And so God, as the King of Kings, looks at humankind and knows that they have that need. And then not only knows that they have that need and sees it's there, he actually does something to fulfill that need. He gives the support that the people need. God gives a sacrifice so that people can be forgiven of their sins. And God's sacrifice is a generous sacrifice. Artaxerxes was generous here, but God's sacrifice is even greater. The King of Kings gives an even greater sacrifice. He gives a sacrifice that does cover for sin because it ticks all the right boxes. It's a human sacrifice. If we are to have forgiveness of sins, we need another human to be our substitute for us in taking the punishment that we deserve. He gives a sinless, perfect sacrifice without blemish, which is we need as well and is very hard to come by. Just think about it. If you were to find, try and find a sacrifice for yourself, a human sacrifice, but you recognize that it must be a sinless sacrifice, where would you find that human? Anywhere on this planet? Not in Australia. Anywhere in the world. Is there a sinless human? No. We have all sinned. But God provided a sinless one. He provided a very generous sacrifice, something that cannot be found in this world. A sinless one. And, of course, he provided a sacrifice that is of infinite value. He provided a sacrifice that is not only human, but is also divine, is also God. And so that that sacrifice covers not just one person, but many people. That sacrifice was able to cover the sins of many nations, many individuals. Whereas if that person, if that sacrifice had been just one human who was not divine, well then that sacrifice could only really cover for one other person. But instead God provided a sacrifice that is not only human but also divine and of infinite value. And what is that sacrifice? Well, the sacrifice that God, the King of Kings, so generously provided was, of course, Jesus Christ himself, God's only Son, the sinless one who is fully human, fully God, and died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. That is the support that God has provided as the King of Kings for sinful, needy humans. So what are you to do with that support that God has provided? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. The King of Kings orders you to accept his sacrifice. God offers you Jesus Christ, so you need to take Jesus as the sacrifice for your sins. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. People reject the Son. The Son comes as a sacrifice for their sins, but they reject him and do not want him as their sacrifice. And so you need to accept Jesus as a sacrifice for your sins. Now why do I need to say that? Isn't it obvious that people would do it? I mean, John has said people do it, but why do people do it? Well, humans love rejecting God's offer of support. They sometimes reject the offer outright. They love to hear the gospel and then just reject it. And they don't want anything to do it. They love to squander the precious opportunity that God has given them of accepting that sacrifice, that support that God has offered, and squander it. 
use the time, the precious time that they have now, to serve themselves, serve their own interests rather than the interests of God, rather than do what he says and accept that sacrifice. It's like the pokey machines all over again. People get this generous support, and what do they do? They squander it. They may as well have just put it straight in the bin. And that's what people do with Jesus. They don't want Jesus. They want to trample all over him. Others also love rejecting God's offer and trying to offer something else instead to God. They recognize that they're a sinner. They recognize that they have this need for forgiveness of sins. But rather than accept Jesus' sacrifice, they want to offer something else. And usually it's good works, some sort of form of good works. Maybe good works in the sense of bowing down to some sort of idol that they think will forgive them of their sins. Or it may be simply, I, if I'm a more generous person, if I'm a more loving person, if I uh, go to church regularly, then I will be someone that sins are forgiven. I somehow, by my hard work, will be able to have my sins forgiven. And so they reject the offer and try and offer something themselves for that sacrifice. But they just don't realize how big a sacrifice is needed for their sins, how serious their sins are. They need the king of kings to provide that support. Just like Ezra needed a king of kings to provide the support if he was to go back and make these sacrifices in Jerusalem. The Israelites had been away a long time. They had committed a lot of sin and that sin hadn't been atoned for. When they got back, they had to make a pretty big barbecue. They had a lot of sin to atone for. And they wouldn't have been able to go back without the permission of Artaxerxes as well. Just leaving that country of Babylon, it's, you've got to get the king's permission. They needed serious help. And you need serious help if you are to find forgiveness of your sins as well. And that serious help cannot come from you, cannot come from other people. It must come from the king of kings, God himself. And it must be that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is the only sacrifice that will cover your sin. So you need to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not reject it. So how do you accept it? Well, it's through repentance and faith through acknowledging that you're a sinner and you are sorry from your sin and you're turning from your sin and that you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the sinless, fully human, fully divine being came and died on the cross for you. When he was on the cross, God's wrath was being poured out on him instead of you. That's what you must believe. If you are to have forgiveness of sins, if you are to accept that sacrifice, God has offered this sacrifice to you. Will you accept it through repentance and faith? Will you accept it? So this morning we've seen the support of the King of Kings is far greater than a King of Kings like Artaxerxes. And we need to accept his support and offer the sacrifice of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. So do you recognize that the King of Kings has provided the sacrifice you need. Have you recognised that? That that sacrifice is sufficient? Or do you think that you need to add something to that sacrifice? Are you rejecting God's offer outright and trying to offer your own sacrifice for your sins, which will never cover your sins because they are just so, so serious? Or have you accepted God's sacrifice 
through repentance and faith. Let's speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are the King of kings. There is no king above you. And we praise you because you're a God who knows our deepest need, forgiveness of sin. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed countless times and are before you and your wrath. But Lord, you have seen our need and provided so many years ago the sacrifice that we need, the sacrifice that indeed covers our sins. Lord, we pray that we may accept that sacrifice. May everybody in this room cling to Jesus Christ through repentance and faith and not reject your offer and have your wrath remain on them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.